The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Gospel of the Lord. Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I was at a banquet not long ago, seated to a very nice lady. She was an Episcopalian, not a member of the Advent. Now, I found that a lot of folks like to talk church after a little wine, which she had, maybe more than a little. And out of the blue, kind of out of the blue, she asked me what was my favorite Christmas hymn, and without much, much hesitation, I said, Harp the Herald, Angels Sing. It's a tradition of the Advent here that that's the last, that's concluding hymn of our Christmas Eve service, and I do so love that hymn. And she said, Fantastic. Oh, yes, that's my favorite hymn also. And she paused a bit and she said, Are you preaching Christmas Eve? I told her that I was, and she asked me what I would be preaching about. And I said, Christmas? Trying to be a little cute. Okay, she said, but what will you be saying about Christmas? I replied, well, I'm not quite ready yet. A couple sermons right before I get there, but I'm sure it'll be about God coming into the world to save sinners. We'll have a church full of sinners, especially the guy in the pulpit that rejoices to hear 
the gospel once again on Christmas Eve. And she said, oh, well, please don't be so gloomy. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we don't need to hear uh, about sin on, on Christmas Eve. And I said, well, you know, the, the key to understanding Christmas is right there in the first stanza of our favorite hymn, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mile, God and Sinners Reconcile. She paused again. Well, singing about sin, she said, and talking about sin are two different things. This is not limp, and I suggest that you lighten up. I thought for a minute. I said, are you from Auburn or Alabama? <laughs> now, in retrospect, I really am a little ashamed of myself because I should have persevered. It's easy to celebrate the spirit or the mood of Christmas without concerning ourselves as to the reason that Jesus came into our world. Many people do. Our politically correct American culture has transformed Christmas into a kind of a sweet feeling, a projection of human goodwill and charity, a season that brings out the best in everybody and is wonderful. As, as this may be, it does not strike at the heart of Christianity. I mean, we can, talk, we can all talk about a peace and good cheer, but there will never be actual peace until there has been reconciliation between God and sinners. And I want to preach tonight briefly, but also clearly and plainly. I have no desire to give you my opinion, but only the biblical truth about the meaning of the incarnation, the meaning of why God came into our broken world. And the truth starts, first of all, with who I am and who you are. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8 The church is a hospital for sinners. And your preacher is the chief patient. Now sin is not so much an action, <clears throat> though it is certainly that we sinners can do uh, bad things. But sin is more than an action. It is a condition. I mean, you can't wake up in the morning and decide not to covet and to envy and totally put other people's needs ahead of your needs any more than I can. We're all frustrated by a sinful and selfish heart. And the Bible teaches us that we were born that way. Uh, Andrew Pearson said that the first two words that his precious child learned was no and mine. See, sin is a condition that separates us from God. And it must be said that if we're looking, if we're looking for the New Testament to understand the Incarnation, <clears throat> it must be said that Jesus came into the world for the prime purpose of saving sinners. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, it said, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the most wonderful news that I ever heard. Suppose the Christmas story was you shall call his name Jesus because he will, because he will show us how to love one another. Well, certainly there is some truth to that, but it misses the profundity of Christianity. Christianity is not in the first place an appeal for moral improvement. I certainly could use moral improvement, but my problem is too deep for me. Christmas is a story of how God invaded this planet to rescue and redeem his rebellious children. 
If we think that we can understand Christmas apart from Good Friday and the crucifixion of Jesus, then we're not celebrating the awe-inspiring love of God. If we're going to get past the spirit and the mood of Christmas to the meaning of Christmas, then we'll have to come to grips, first of all, with our plight. You could be like the lady at the banquet. It's okay to sing about sin, but the question is, do we actually feel our sin? Do we actually feel our need for a Redeemer? Well, hang in there just for a moment, because I want to have this as a brief quote, but I want to quote from the great 18th century English preacher George Whitfield. He's perhaps the most influential preacher that ever preached in America. But listen to, for a moment to George Whitfield from a sermon he preached circa 1750. <clears throat> and now, my dear friends, examine your hearts. Was ever the remembrance of your sin grievous to you? Was the burden of your sins intolerable to your thoughts? Did you ever see that God's wrath might justly fall upon you on account of your actual transgressions against God? Were you ever in all your life sorry for your sins? Could you ever say, my sins are going over my head as a burden too, too heavy for me to bear? Did you ever experience any such thing as this? Did you ever say such things as this? Did you ever say such things as this may pass between God and your soul? If not, then for Jesus Christ's sake, don't call yourselves Christians. You may speak of peace to your hearts, but there is no peace. <clears throat> George Whitfield is just going straight for the jugular. In one of the original episodes of Law and Order, I'm going back about 15 years ago, but I'll never forget the scene of these three cops. They're doing an all-night stakeout from their car. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning or so, and over black coffee, they begin to talk amongst themselves about the regrets of their lives. <clears throat> the guy in the front on the wheel uh, said that he regretted being a jerk to his wife for most of their married lives before she died. And the guy under the, under the uh, riding shotgun said that he regretted chronically stealing money as a teenager from his hard-working father's wallet. There's a third cop, and he's in the back seat with his eyes closed. He's half asleep. And this said to him, Hey, Sarge, what do you regret? And finally he mumbled out, I regret everything. I guess I remember that so vividly, like it was yesterday, because it was a part of me, to be honest with you, that identifies. I have more than my share of sin and regrets that stem from this self-centered heart of mine. And the message of the angel, angel, that to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, is the most wonderful news I ever heard. Would you agree? I don't care how low you've sunk. There's no reason to give up. There's no reason to think somber, gloomy thoughts. I'm with you that I cannot undo my past, but it is my privilege to point to a Savior that can wash us clean. Jesus never once, in the narrative of the New Testament, never once turned away a helpless sinner who fled to him. So heavens know, is not the mood or the spirit of Christmas as wonderful as that is 
That's not what we really celebrate at the bottom line. We celebrate the birth of one who lived and died and rose again. That we might have reconciliation with God. As Martin Luther said as he concluded the Christmas Eve sermon in 1535. To me there is no greater consolation given to mankind than this. That Christ became a man, a child, a babe, playing in the lap of his most gracious mother. Who is there whom this sight would not comfort? Now has overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt. If you come to this gurgling babe and believe that he has come, not to judge, but to save. May God draw a luck to the hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this for Jesus' sake. Amen.